All right, let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. If you would, I want you to go to the book of 1 Kings with me. 1 Kings chapter 3, Old Testament book of 1 Kings. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, or maybe they have a Bible and doesn't know where 1 Kings is, can you look around you and you help them find their place? And we'll start here, and then we're going to move over to the New Testament. We'll be in several verses there. For those of you new to the church, in our bulletin, we, we insert an outline that you can follow that kind of navigates you through that, and, and our, our sermons and messages are posted on our podcast, so you can go on the website during the week. If you maybe missed something, you can go on there and pull down the notes and things like that. That'll be of great help to you there. 1 Kings chapter 3. Say amen if you're there. Verses. How many thankful Thanksgivings here? Oh, man. You're not thankful for that. How many thankful for Thanksgivings here? Amen? Amen. How many like to eat? Amen. How many feel like you need to lose weight? Don't say anything. Amen? Until after you eat. Okay? We have a saying around here, you know, eat all you can and then you can fast. You fast from midnight to 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay? That's your fasting time. Amen? That'll be good. First Kings chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. Are you there? Let's have a great service this morning. Okay? Let's enjoy ourselves and rejoice in Christ. And now... O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David thy father. Would you notice Solomon's kind of his attitude about being a king? I mean, he feels out of his place like a fish out of water. And he says, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people, a great people, he said, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able... To judge this, and would you notice these next five words? Thy so great a people. Would you repeat that with me this morning? Thy so great a people. We're on a series entitled So Great, and we're going to zone in this morning on this Thanksgiving weekend on a thought I want to give you today on so great a people. Father, we thank you this morning for the precious word of God. The Bible says of itself that every word of God is pure. And we thank you that even though heaven and earth shall one day pass away, thy word shall never pass away. Thank you that the word of God is alive, it's living, it's quick, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a fire that burns in our heart. It's a hammer that breaks open the rock. It's honey to our soul. Thank you, Lord, it's a light into our path and a lamp unto our feet. Thank you, Lord, that it's living water. Thank you that it's precious seed, incorruptible seed, whereby a man can be born again. Thank you that Jesus is the living word. And today, sanctify your precious people through the truth of your word, because your word is truth. Would you bless our time together on this Thanksgiving weekend? Would you use this passage of Scripture to inspire us about so great a people? And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We started a series so oh, about three or four weeks ago entitled So Great. And those two words, so great, just kind of, you know, if you expand upon it, it's just a, it's a great expression to describing something where perhaps that, those are the only two words we can think about to describe the magnitude and the beauty 
and the wisdom or the greatness of something. And I've used this example many times before, but maybe you've gone to the Grand Canyon, and you've seen the grandeur of the Grand Canyon, you look at that, and the only thing you can say out of your mouth, this is so great. Or maybe you've uh, been at the top of a building that's very tall, and you've looked down below, and you think, man, just imagine all of those things going on below, you say, this is so great. Or a mountain climber that's climbed to the highest peak, perhaps Mount Everest, and there from that peak, having made that ascent, and made the journey, and weathering all the difficulties of it, saying in his mouth, it is so great. And in our series, we've looked at things like in Hebrews 2, 3, it's so great a salvation. We've looked at over there in Hebrews 12, 1, it's so great a cloud of witnesses. We've looked in, in over there in Exodus chapter 32, where, where Moses made the statement, so great a sin. And today I wanted to call your attention, taking 1 Kings 3, 9, this phrase at the induction of Solomon as king over all of Israel, having succeeded the successful reign of his father, his father David who had reigned for 40 years, David who had never been conquered, David who had never been beaten, David who was a man of war, and now Solomon taking the kingdom, and his very name Solomon meaning peace and rest, a man of peace. Solomon never had to fight a war. His father did everything to prepare for him a great kingdom. And Solomon's looking at the wealth. Solomon's looking at the buildings. Solomon's looking at this army, this massive army that David's assembled. He's looked at this congregation of people, these millions of Jews that have assembled there, the unified kingdom that God had passed from David down to Solomon. Solomon's looking at all this, and he's feeling like as a young man, I don't know what am I doing here. I feel like a fish out of water. I'm way over my head. What am I doing here? What has my father given to me? And he's praying a prayer, and he's saying, God, I'm just a little child. I'm not sure why I'm here and what, what to do. And Lord, you've given, me, uh, you've given me responsibility for these people. And he says, I need to judge their matters. I need to preside over their matters civil and criminal. I need to preside over matters that are family in nature. And he said, Lord, there's a lot of heartache here, and there's going to be a lot of of trouble here and a lot of difficulties. And he says, Lord, I'm just a little child. I'm not sure what to do. He says, even this multitude of people is more than can be numbered. I'm not sure if he even had a count at that time. I'm not even sure if he had a census at that time of how big the kingdom was. He just knew it was a great, expansive kingdom. And he prayed a prayer. And in verse 9, this prayer he prays, he said, Lord, give your servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad. He said, Lord, I don't want to take advantage of these people. He said, Lord, I don't want to usurp authority over these people. Lord, I don't want to manipulate these people. He said, Lord, I don't want to be a classic politician that takes advantage of them and taxes them to the extreme and use it for my own benefit. I don't want to get these, I don't want to get these people to serve me. I want to serve these people. He says, Lord, I want to be a spiritual leader that gives glory to God. I want to follow in the footsteps of my father David and helping these people to recognize that I care about them and I love them and I want you to love me through them. And he said, Lord, you've got to give me a heart. But he said in verse 9, who is able to judge this so great a people. And Solomon's description of all of Israel, Solomon's description of this great kingdom is that it was a great people, a great people, so great, he said, so great a people. You might want to put this down in your notes because I don't know if it's in your notes, but God has always had a people. God has always had a people. In the Old Testament, the people of God were the Jews. The people of God were the Israelites, the Hebrews, beginning with Abraham. As God manifested the message of God, God has always had a people. His people during the Old Testament, by which he gave his revelation, by which he wanted the message of salvation to go around the world, was through his people, the Hebrews. In the Old Testament, the 
Jews are God's people. Now, you must be very careful in your readings, your studies. The Jews, Israel, is never the church. In the Old Testament, the concept of the church was foreign. It was unknown. Paul, in fact, said the concept of the church was a mystery, okay? So the church, you must be careful of your readings and as you study the Bible or you look at a commentary here and there. Be very careful that you do not misinterpret that Israel is not the church. And by the way, the church is not Israel also. And so we must understand those two go one in hand in hand. Israel is not the church. The church is not Israel. And so we go here, and in the Old Testament, God has had a people. You read from Genesis and go all the way to Malachi, God had a people of the Old Testament. God had the people. People, the Jews. But now we get to the New Testament, and now we realize that it's not the Jews, it's not the Hebrews, if you would, it's not Israel, which is, per se, if you per se, is God's people that he's using in this dispensation. We are now what we call the dispensation of, of, of grace, or the age of the church. A dispensation of age, or the church. A dispensation means a period of time. A dispensation means a stewardship, if you would. And God has entrusted the welfare of the gospel message, of the proclamation that from the rising of the sun, to the going down of the same, the Lord's name should be praised. God has declared not that Israel is his spoken mouthpiece and not that Israel would be the people of God for this generation, but God has chosen that the local New Testament church is the method, the mechanism, the means, the multitude by which the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and given around this world. We are so great a people. We are the people of God. The church is so great a people. And so this morning, as we look at this complexity of this phrase, so great a people. And we consider this this morning. I want you to fathom with me and come alongside of me this morning as we try to give God the glory and appreciate, thank God today, that you and I are part of something bigger than you and me. And you and I are part of something bigger than just your little family. And you and I are bigger than something than an adult growth group. And you and I are bigger than something than, a, than some kind of an organization here, a parachurch. I want you to understand this morning that as a Her the Heritage Baptist Church, as a local New Testament church, as a local Baptist body, of believers, that we are so great a people according to the word of God. I want you to take a part with me and rejoice today that you're part of a great congregation. And rejoice with me today that you're part of a church whereby God brought the gospel message to you and you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to rejoice with me today that we have a Savior who's looking down from heaven and a God who's our Heavenly Father. And it's the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And looking upon this church and looking upon through me and through you that the fact that we are here today in the San Leandro greater Bay Area as so great a people to fulfill the responsibilities of God to this generation. Let us see several things this morning about why God has called us so great a people. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter, first of all, this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to do two things. One, we're going to look at a lot of Bible. Number two, you're going to learn how to find the books of the Bible. Amen? And uh, if you don't have one, I would encourage you to do one of two things. If you're having difficulty finding the books of the Bible, actually three things. One is I would encourage you to try to memorize the order of the books of the Bible and practice going through it. Secondly, I would encourage you to make to get some post-its and maybe tab the different sections so it's easier for you to find. Or thirdly, maybe buy, buy a Bible that has a thumb index that helps you find those sections of Scripture because that will help you get used to that. The best thing to do is just to read the Bible and get used to the order of the books. So when you hear the book, you kind of know what's before what and so forth there, and you can find it. And this morning, we're going to start off by looking at the book of First Peter, and it was written by the Apostle Peter. And notice chapter 2, verse 10. The very first thing I want you to see about, about so great a people, about, this, about us as a church and a local church, we're so great a people because of number one, our particular. Notice verse 10. Our particular. In verse 10, he says, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, every time I read this verse, it just brings joy to my soul. Would you comprehend that with me? There is a particular about who we are and what God has done. Before you got saved, before I got saved, we were not a people. That means we were not part of anything significant. We were not part of something that was important. We were not part of something that was life-changing. But the moment the mercies of God came into your life and you accepted Jesus Christ, your Savior, you became a part of the people of God. You were added to a local New Testament church. You are a part of the people of God. If you're saved this morning, you're part of the people of God. He says in verse 10, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We are God's people. Can I hear an amen to that this morning? We are the people of God. That's important today. We are recipients of God's mercies. We are recipients of his forgiveness. We are recipients of his love. We're recipients of the fact that God has saved us. We're not children of darkness, but praise God, we're children of the light. We are recipients of his marvelous grace. We're no longer children of the devil. We are the children of God. We are the people of God. We are recognized by our brand. Marketing likes to use the term branding and brand. How do you identify something? And we identify the brand of the church by the fact we are the people of God. When you say something like this, I'm going to church, you ought to swell in your soul with a thankful, with a thankful heart that you're not just going to church. You're part of a church that's made up of the people of God. People that are saved. People that are redeemed. People that know Jesus Christ their Savior. People that can pray in Jesus' name. We are the people of God. Our brand indicates there's a relationship with God. Our relationship indicates there's a distinction about us. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. The church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of truth. We are the part of the house of God. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. We are the ecclesia, the called out assembly. We're not people of the world. We are people of the word. We're not people who are failures. Praise God, we're people who are forgiven. We're not people who live by prosperity theology. We are people that live and abound by prayer theology. Aren't you thankful this morning that we are the people of God? Not a people who are hopeless, but people whose hope is in the Lord. Not a people who are harmful, but a people who are called out to be holy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, God said this, I shall be their God, and they shall be my people. I'm thankful this morning we are called the people of God. Thank God for that this morning. We have a distinct branding. We are the people of God. We are so great a people because of our particular. But notice secondly, our particular speaks about our branding. But notice secondly, we're so great a people because we've been purchased. We're bought. We're not our own. We belong to God. Amen? Amen? Now I belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to me. I belong to God. Would you notice in, in first, if you would, some scriptures here. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The apostle Paul, as he's writing, speaking to the elders which came down from the churches of Ephesus, they met him at the shoreline of the city of Miletus. He poured out his heart to them. And he told those pastors, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Would you notice this last phrase? Which he has purchased with his own blood. We are purchased possession. We've been bought 
with the blood of Jesus Christ. The shed blood of Jesus Christ was the transaction price that had to be paid, that had to be shed to buy you and I out of the slave market of sin. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 19 and 20, if you'll turn there, the Bible says this, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not of your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now we preach this so much, we say so often, we just get used to the phrase, but I want you to think with me for a minute. We are bought with the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus bought us with his death and his shed blood. We are bought out of the slave market of sin. We're bought out of this place of unforgiveness to forgiveness. Ephesians 1.14 says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Colossians 1.14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Let us fathom the thought that we were slaves to sin. We were in bondage to sin. But when our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for our sins, that shed blood poured out of his hands and poured out of his side and poured out of his feet. That shed blood was a transaction price. It paid in full the sin debt that you and I owe. Do you understand this morning, there's not enough good works that you can do, and there's not enough money that you can give, and there's not enough church memberships you can have that can pay sufficiently the price for the sin debt that we owe God. We owe God everything. God doesn't owe us a single thing, but God out of his mercy and his love, who's rich in his mercy and love, shed his blood for you and I that we could be bought out of the slave market of sin. Colossians 1.14 says, he bought us through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. We were sinners on the way to the devil's hell. There in that hell, you and I are supposed to suffer and are deemed to suffer and deserve to suffer. Torment for all of eternity, burning in hell. But when Jesus saved us, he took our feet, he took us out of that place, and through his shed blood, he placed us on a standing with God we don't have of our own. That standing is out of the grace of God. God brought us to the place where we can say we are a blood-bought people. Where it's a people of God, our brand is identified through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We have his forgiveness. In Romans chapter 5, verses 89, wonderful verse of scripture. Where the Bible says there in chapter 5, verses 89 of Romans, it says, but God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And though we were sinners who were condemned, and sinners who should die for our own sin debt, Christ died for us. He took our spot. He was our substitute. But it goes on in verse 9 saying this, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There should never be a day that goes by that we don't thank God that we've been saved from God's wrath. There should never be a day that goes by that we don't thank God that we've been saved from the fiery pit of hell. There should never be a day that does not go by that we do not thank God that we're forgiven for all of our sins. Aren't you thank God? Aren't you thankful today we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? And aren't you glad this morning we have peace with God through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior? A missionary is working in West Africa and there in that particular country he was in, he was trying to translate some things. And, you know, sometimes translations in different languages don't translate the same as in English. And we take for granted that, every, that the English language is very simple. But in many other foreign countries, our English language can be very complex and very difficult to translate in certain ways. And so the mission was looking for a word that would best describe redemption or purchase and bought out. And he started talking with a man that was there that had gotten saved in the church he had started there. And he was asked this man, he said, sir, I'm trying to find a word that out of your language 
language that best expresses in your native tongue that we're redeemed. And that man thought for a moment, he says, yes, sir. He said, pastor. He said, yes. He says, I'll give you a phrase for that. We say in our native language here in West Africa that God took our heads out. Now, when the missionary heard that, he said, what do you mean God took our heads out? He said, you know, he's thinking about maybe, you know, just got his head out of something there. He says, what do you mean you took our, you use that phrase, we took our heads out? He said, well, sir, here's what happened. He said, many years before when slave traders came to this part of Africa, and it was a very terrible situation. They would come through and they would ravage through villages. And when they would take someone that they wanted as a slave, they put an iron collar around that person and a chain around them. And they would just have that person walk a few feet ahead of them. And sometimes those slave traders with their slaves, they would walk through these certain villages. And sometimes the king in that village, who they had respect for, and they would not attack that king, sometimes the king would see this pitiful situation. And the king would recognize people from a neighboring village that had been taken captive as slaves with his iron collar around their neck, and the king would approach the slave trader and would say something like this. He said, sir, you know, that man there and that man there, well, how much do you want for that man? And he would say something like, well, I want X amount of money or I want X amount of gold or silver or goods for that. And the king would allocate his resources, whether it be money, or whether it be gold, or whether it be silver, or in those days, whether it be ivory, whatever it may be, they would allocate that. And as he gave that as, a, as an exchange to the, to the slave trader, the slave trader would unlock the collar, and as soon as that on the collar was unlocked, the man's head would be set free. And the missionary thought for a moment, he said, that's a good word translation. It means that that person was freed from the chains and the shackles and the anchoring they had. Oh, listen, this morning, we don't understand how bad it is, but we need to go back to Luke chapter 16 every now and then, brother and sister in Christ. And we need to revisit there in Luke chapter 16, the man who rejected his opportunity of being saved. And the Bible describes the rich man who went to hell. And the Bible describes the very first thing that he being hell lifted up his eyes in torments. We need to go back and remind ourselves, that could have been me. That could have been my family member. That could be me down there in hell. That could be me there burning in torment there forever and forever and ever. But thank God, Jesus saved me. And thank God, Jesus shed his blood and bought me out of the slave market of sin. And he set me free from the bondage of sin. I'm thankful this morning we've been bought with that price. Never underestimate the blood of Jesus Christ. Never trod upon the blood of Jesus Christ in a desecrated way. Never look down on Always be thankful this morning that you are a purchased people. Thank God this morning for that. We're purchased people that are bought. But you notice the third thing. Go back with me to 1 Peter, please. So great a people because of our particular, we're people of God. So great a people because we've been purchased, we've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. But you notice thirdly, we're so great a people because we are precious to God. How many are thankful this morning that you're precious to God? Now I want you to think with me for just a minute. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, not spiritually, humanly speaking, what's the most precious thing that you have? Not spiritually, I'm not talking about spiritually. I mean, the, the Christian answer you're going to give me, the right answer, the, the right answer in church is Jesus, okay? But I want you to think, we know that. What's the most precious thing you have? Wedding ring? Your glasses? Your sight? Good health? Starbucks coffee? Okay, those are good. You know what? Something precious is something you would not give up or exchange. You would not give up or exchange. If you have children, parents, I pray that your children are precious to you. If you have grandchildren, I pray that your grandchildren are precious to you. 
your spouse is still living. I hope your spouse is very precious to you. You have your parents and they're still living. I hope they're very precious to you. Something precious is something you would not trade or exchange for any reason. But you notice in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus died for us. And he doesn't look at you and I as another business transaction. Every soul that's saved, every person added to the body of Christ, the living, store, or living stones added to the body of Christ, that is precious to him. And there's nobody in this room, there's nobody in this church that is not precious to him. Every person is precious to Jesus Christ. And so precious, we scroll our way down in 1 Peter chapter 2, notice verses 9 and 10. He says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm thankful this morning God is not going to give you up, amen? God is not going to give you and I up. You are precious to him. You cannot lose what is the gift of God. You cannot be traded away. Once you're saved, you're always saved. And when you get saved, you're passed from death unto life. You no longer are a servant to the old past. You're a servant of Jesus Christ. God loves you and I with an everlasting love. God is for us, not against us. God will never leave us or forsake us. God has given us, if you'll notice 1 Peter 2.9, a royal status. It says we're a chosen generation. Now sometimes we look at the word chosen and we get a little nervous about that because we're afraid that well, if, I, if I use the word chosen, someone might think that I'm Calvinistic in my theology. But I'm going to tell you the word chosen is a Bible word. It's a good it's a good thing. Listen, aren't you glad this morning when you chose Jesus, he chose you? He chose to take you. He chose to make you a child of God. There's nothing wrong with the word choice. Listen, we say this all the time. There are three votes that are involved in salvation. God votes for you. How many are thankful for that this morning? But the devil votes against you. The devil votes against you. He casts a vote against you. So who casts a deciding vote? You and I do. We make that choice. And when you make the choice by faith, by repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, when you choose him, he has chosen you. Listen, he chose us to be part of his family. He chose us to have eternal life. He chose us to have forgiveness of sin. He chose us to be part of a loving church family that will care for us to come alongside of us to help us to know that God is for us and not against us against us. You have a belonging. We're blessed. Notice something else he says in verse 9. We're a holy nation. We're people set apart for God, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of God. We're the people of God. You cannot be a part of the people of God unless you're part of his family. And I just want to say this morning, we're blessed and we belong to him because we are precious in the sight of God. But notice fourthly this morning, we're peculiar we hear the word peculiar. We use it kind of sometimes in our way of describing, you know, someone, someone's kind of odd and someone's kind of strange and someone kind of different there. But the word peculiar is a very good word in the Bible. In Titus chapter 2, it says that you are a peculiar people. 1 Peter 2.9 says you're a peculiar people. What does that mean? Well, it literally means this. It means a circle's been drawn about something or someone and it's marked off that individual or that something as very special and belonging to someone of a high power. 
And that's what this means here. God has drawn a circle around us, and that circle has the idea around the fact that we belong to God. He has chosen us to be his, and he's put his circle of love around us and his protection around us. We're peculiar because God has called us out. Look at Titus again, if you would, please. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. It says of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people. And let me park there for a minute. When you look at this verse, this says some wonderful things that helps us understand what happens in salvation. Number one, God, Jesus gave himself for us. When it says he gave himself, he gave all of himself for us. It was a complete sacrifice. It was a complete substitution. Then he says, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us. Notice this, from all iniquity. Listen, when Jesus Christ saved you from your sin, he saved you from all sin. He saved you from sins past, present, and future. You're saved from your sin. Okay, that doesn't mean you're not going to continue to sin, and we can come to God for forgiveness, but we are saved from our sins. And if you're haunted by some fact that you know, God will reject you, no, you're part of, you've been passed from death to life. You're, he's not gonna reject you. You've been redeemed from all iniquity. And when he redeemed us from all iniquity, he put a circle around us. He put a ring around us. He said, that's mine. He's mine, and she's mine. And he said through this, notice in this passage of Scripture, he purified himself, he cleansed us, he purified himself, a peculiar people. These people of God were unique. The people of God were saved. The people of God were purified. The people of God were a holy nation. The people of God were distinctly different. We're no longer darkness, we're light. We're not longer people who, who, who crave for the things of the world. We crave for the things of the word of God. And when you think about a peculiar people, he defines what a peculiar people should desire. He said he purified himself of peculiar people. Notice this, zealous of good works. The word zeal is a great word in the Bible. It means to be burning hot, red hot. Be burning hot for his glory. Burning hot for good works. Burning hot with the gospel. I'm saying this morning, God has called you and I out as a peculiar people. We are so great a people because he's called us out to be a people zealous of good works. He wants us burning hot and serving him and burning hot and representing his gospel and burning hot and being a good testimony. We need to be zealous in winning souls and we need to be zealous in weekly of the saving grace of our Lord and working in other people's lives. We need to be zealous in getting the gospel to everyone we can. Let me give you an example of this. Brother Roger LaForga is here this morning, and Brother Roger, several weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, asked us to put on a prayer page a friend of his that lives in the Philippines. I didn't know at that time that his friend Raleigh lived in the Philippines. And we've been praying over the name, Raleigh's name, and one particular morning after about two or three weeks, it just got started burning me about Raleigh. I, don't, I didn't know Raleigh, but God burned my heart for Raleigh. And I thought, I better check with Brother Roger and find out what's going on with his situation. I said, Brother Roger, is, is, Raleigh, is Raleigh close by? We can go by together and visit with him. He said, Pastor, he says, he, he's in the Philippines. There's no way you're going to visit him here. And I said, tell me where he lives. And I found out where he lives, and we, we were able to call a pastor friend of ours, a good pastor friend of ours over there, and he sent one of his staff members and another man. They went over there, and we're thankful that it was our time on Sunday. It was a Sunday afternoon. We got good news that Raleigh Rombion trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. That's being zealous of good works. That's being zealous of good works. I hope you pray this morning for a lady that we reached about uh, two and a half years ago. Many of you know about her already, Mrs. Anna Lopez. And Anna... We reached her on a friend day. We were, another young man was here this morning. We were out soul winning and visiting one Saturday afternoon, not very far from here. And we knocked on her door and greeted us with just a very cordial greeting. And I'll be there. And she was there that next Sunday. And 
Anna gave a good professor of faith in Jesus Christ and got scripturally baptized here in church and just got involved with things and has had a number of family trials recently. Last Sunday while I was out of town, I, Sunday evening, we got a message from her and she didn't know I was out of town and she said, Pastor, she says, she says I just wanted to let you know, I just I really need to talk to you. She says, my, my husband just passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. Very young man, very young couple. And I'm thousands of miles away and I'm thinking, Lord, I just want to, I need to be back home right now to just help our congregation right now. So many people going through trials. David Fall, you keep praying for David. He's doing great, but just keep praying for David. Working with Anna through a lot of things, and you pray for tomorrow. We have the celebration of life service for her husband. And when Wednesday came along this week, I sent her a message, and I said, uh, hey, Anna, I just want to ask you, just to best your knowledge, I said, uh, what did Joe decide about Jesus Christ? What did he decide about our Lord? He said, Pastor, you know, you remember you met him a couple times. I said, yeah, I remember the very first time was the Easter service, 2018. In fact, it was April 11th. And she said, well, that day when you gave the invitation, he didn't raise his hand. But Pastor, we were sitting back there, and as you gave the invitation, he prayed out loud and called on the Lord to be a Savior that day. I was speechless because that brought great relief to my heart. Amen? Great relief to my heart. And before I could ask her another question, she said, and I just want you to know, Pastor, he wasn't at church much, but we talked a lot about what it means to be saved. I know my husband's in heaven. I said, praise God for that. And I can tell you so many stories like that. I can tell you so many stories like that around our church. We need to be people zealous for the gospel. We're in these final weeks of 2019. Thanksgiving and Christmas. I want to encourage us as a church. Let's finish this year strong. Being zealous of good works. Zealous with the gospel. I've said this before. Please take me, my wife, to get to your family members who are not saved before it's too late. You never know if, like a Joe Lopez, that might be their last service. And I want to be there. I want to get the gospel to them. I want to see your family members when to Christ. We have a man here today who got saved recently. Yesterday we were talking. I said, I want you. You have a good testimony now. I want you to take me to your family. Introduce me to your family members so they can hear what God has done in your life. I'm saying this morning, we're so great a people because... He's called us to be a peculiar people, a people that he's put a ring around and a mark around that we should be zealous of good works. I pray this morning that as you go through this Thanksgiving season and we, 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 we go ahead and overindulge ourselves a little bit in eating and things that we probably shouldn't eat too much of, and it's okay, it's not a sin, it's only a sin if you keep doing it for the next 365 days, amen, you know? But just doing it for one day or so, it's okay. But I'm just saying, as we do so, let's not forget there are people that God's brought before us. Yesterday I was talking to Brother David Fong and and, you know, we're just thankful. By the way, I'm thankful God is, those of you who visit, you can testify this, God has been doing a great work for David. Last two Wednesday nights ago, two Wednesdays ago, I was, I was preaching a Wednesday night service, and right before that, I, I went to pick up my mom. My mom that Monday had a knee replacement surgery, and I picked her up that, that Wednesday afternoon and got her home, stayed with her for a little bit there, and, and then we had a family member come to relieve me. 
And, uh, you know, mom was in a lot of pain, discomfort, but amazingly, I've just, I've been praying for her for about several months for this knee replacement surgery to go well. I was even amazed that day that she came out of the, she came to the hospital. She just took a walker. I mean, it, where she lives, you have to walk up, you have to walk up, a, 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 you know, the, you have to walk up in a client's probably, probably about 30, 30 degree incline. You got to go. And she just, you know, she, I got her out of the car. She took her walker and started walking without me. I'm just standing there watching her. She's just walking away from me, you know? <laughs> You know, and she's just going away like that. And she was in a lot of pain, but she kept moving. And uh, she, she made her way up. We got her in, and she kept moving around. I said, Mom, you, you got you to gotta slow down a little bit and get your leg up a little bit there and things like that. Well, I stayed a little bit there, and then about 5.36, I came back to church. And I'm sitting here in church. I'm standing here. And we just, some of you remember, we were just starting the Wednesday night service. Manny and Mila were sitting right there, same place they're at. And Brother, Brother Jesus Gonzalez was sitting over on this side. They were there. I'm right here, and I'm watching Brother Dave. He just walked in about 7.20. We just finished our prayer time. We're just reading the scriptures, 7.20, 7.25. I'm watching right there, and I'm watching him. I said, oh, man, he's having a, an incident right now. And I'm watching. I'm so thankful our church family saw what was going on. They moved on that right away. I mean, just Brother Jesus saw and several of our deacons and people that just this converged on him. And thankful Brother Dave stayed with him until they got him to the, the ER and things like that. But they got him there. Let's talk to Dave yesterday. I've been with him a little bit. Yes, his speech was very good. It wasn't slurred as it was that night. And his balance is a little bit better. He's not out of the woods yet. That's what David said to me. I didn't even have to ask him this. He's a pastor. I just feel like God put this in my life. I don't like it. But I feel like God put this in my life so my family members can hear the gospel. I said, I'm here for that. Amen. You know, I appreciate that spirit and attitude that he just realized that we need to count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. You know, even in his very weakened condition, we find a brother in Christ who's zealous of good works. Amen. And I just say this morning, God wants us to stay busy. Zealous of good works means we need to be busy. We need to be serving. I pray these next several weeks, help us in serving the Lord. We have a couple of uh, convalescent homes we're going to take groups to to sing, and I hope you'll join us. They'll be on a weekdays there, and I hope you'll join us for that. But be zealous of good works. Be zealous for his church. Be zealous for the Lord. Well, listen this morning. So great a people because of our particular. We're the people of God. We're so great a people because, of, because uh, we've been purchased. We've been bought with the price. We're so great a people because, because we are precious in the eyes of God. We are blessed. So great a people because the Lord has, has uh, given us, a, we're peculiar, we're to be busy. But you notice this fourth thing. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, this fifth thing, please. We're so great a people because of our power. I want you to catch this this morning. And here he's talking about the brawn or the strength of the people of God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, at a time of crisis for the church, their message was censured. Peter and John were told, no more are you to speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ or spread this doctrine. They were censured by the high priest. The Bible says as they got together as the church, it's a small band of people, a small band of people compared to everybody else in Jerusalem. It said in verse 31 of Acts 4, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness, 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Can I tell you this morning, the great power of the church is not its machinery. And the great power of the church is not the size of the multitude. And the great power of the church is not its giving power. And the great power of the church is not in the size of its congregation. And the great power of the church is not how many buildings it puts up. The great power of the church is not found in how old the congregation is. And the great power of the church is not in its PA or its audio system. And the great power of the church is not how creative the church is. And the great power of the church is not how many vehicles and buses it has or how many Sunday school classes it has. The great power of the church is not those things. The great power of the church is the power of prayer that God has given to this church to use for his glory. Our power is our ability to pray down the power of God. Do you imagine this morning when a praying church, the power it has on planet earth. A praying church can pray souls into the kingdom of heaven. A praying church can change lives. A praying church can change situations. I'm saying this morning as we look at this church, there was change that happened to the church of Jerusalem because the power it had through prayer. Would you notice some things in Acts chapter 4? They had power in their gathering. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They had power that shook the ground, the place where they were was shaken where they're at. Hey, a lot of times we're at a place where nothing happens. We need to have old-fashioned prayer time that would shake the ground under us. They had power in their witness of the gospel. The Bible says the apostles gave great witness. It had to start with them because the apostles were intimidated and they thought, well, maybe we can't say anything anymore. They had to pray. By the way, let me just encourage you this morning. When you have a, a trial and difficulty in your life, that's not the time to languish. That's the time to say, please pray for me. Let's pray together about that. Notice in verse 32, they had power in their giving. We read through Acts chapter 4. And those of you who know the scripture, they had great power. They had great faith. They had great grace. They had great fear. They had great growth. Churches do well in organization. Churches do well in giving. Churches do well in fellowship. Churches can do well in certain ministries, but the greatest thing we need to do well in, we must do well in praying as a church. And I encourage you this morning, make Wednesday nights, make our midweek service an important time of your life to get that prayer page and join us in prayer and exhortation through God's word as we pray for God to do great things. So great a people. Oh, I love it when our God's people get together and pray about matters and watch what God unfolds and does. So great a people. But lastly this morning, would you notice this? We're so great a people because of our paradise. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, please. I want you to look at three scriptures tonight, this morning. We're so great because of our particular, so great because of our purchase, so great because we're precious, so great because we're peculiar, so great because of our power. But I want you to notice this morning as we close, so great a people because of our paradise. This is our bliss. Notice Hebrews chapter 12. What is the paradise for the people of God? We'll start with Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 22, 23 with me. Are you there? Amen. Amen. But you are come into Mount Zion, that's referring to heaven, and into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Now we go to verse 22, and as we read through these verses, 22, 24, it's telling us who is in heaven. Now thank God God's in heaven, amen? Jesus is in heaven. His blood is in heaven, you'll see that here. The angels are in heaven, and, he's, and people ask the question, how many angels are there? He says more than can be counted, he calls innumerable, okay? Now we get to verse 24, 23, excuse me, and he says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Who's that? 
Us. That's us. The general assembly and the church are the firstborn. Now, keep your finger there. Go to Revelations 19.1. By the way, which he says, which are written in heaven. In Revelation 19.1, and after these things, I heard a great voice, and would you notice this phrase, and much people in heaven, much people in heaven. By the way, I'll answer your question, how many people be in heaven? The Bible says much. That's a lot, Amen. When you're not sure how to count, you only, you only have 10 fingers. So when you get beyond 10 fingers, 10 toes, it's much, okay? That's what you say after that, amen? And then we get to Revelation 21. And I heard a great voice, verse 3, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's talking about Jesus, okay? The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And notice this phrase, they shall be his people, and God shall be with them and be their God. As we close this morning, we're so great a people because I'm looking forward to paradise. Amen? Now, you might be picky about who you want to sit with in church. But when you get to heaven, it doesn't matter. Amen? It doesn't matter. Amen? We get to be with much people in heaven. There's going to be a lot of congregations up there, say baptized believers that will be up there. And you're not up there because you got baptized. Just say baptized referring to just being part of the church. But so great a people because heaven's populated with saved people. Can I hear an amen? amen? It's populated with saved people. Heaven's our home. Heaven's our country. Heaven is our final destiny. Heaven's eternal. Heaven's the city of the living God. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Wow. And I go there to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is the home of the saved. It's the commonwealth of the believer. And heaven is the place for saved and forgiven people. Heaven is for those who come the blood-sprinkled way. Someone said this, a man by the name of John Hanna, he said, two things will surprise us when we arrive in heaven. Who is there and who is not? Heaven's our paradise. The thief dying on the cross, he recognized at that ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, those soldiers were going to come and break his legs, the legs of the other thief, to expedite their death on that cross. And the nearness of death, spending all of eternity, gripped that man's heart. And there on that cross to the side of Jesus, he, I could just imagine this man through the side of his eye being able to look at Jesus. He said, Lord, he said, when you're in paradise, remember me. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Paradise brings us back to the perfection of Genesis chapter 2, the creation of the Garden of Eden. It takes us to a place where there is no sin. It takes us to the place where everything's immortal. Everything's incorruptible. In heaven, this body, which is a tent, we're going to put off this old tent and put off this old tabernacle. And this mortal, praise God, will become immortal. This corruptible, this decaying old body, He's going to put on incorruptible. 
No matter how hard you exercise and try to keep yourself fit, you cannot stop from aging. No matter how many vitamins you take and whatever you do to keep your blood pressure down and keep your diet going, you cannot stop one thing. You cannot stop the effect of death. Death will come. Death is inevitable. It is appointed to men once to die, and after this is the judgment. And I'm going to remind you this morning that heaven is not your home. Heaven is not your paradise if you're not saved. It is the paradise for those who are saved. And as a people of God, we can rejoice this morning that we're, paradise is our hope. We're so great a people because we look forward to be part of that great congregation, a great company of people whose names are written in heaven, who God, the Bible calls the people of God, that we can rejoice that maybe today the Lord might come. And as he comes today for us, that we'll be, we'll be raptured up to be with the Lord forever in the air. And I'm saying this morning, rejoice with me that you're saved, but if you're not saved today, if you're not 100% certain you're going to heaven, today is the day to get saved. Today is the day where you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. The Bible says that if thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Those are the words of a gentleman who does not break his promise. That is the word of God. You cannot have your salvation and lose your salvation. Once you call upon the name of the Lord, you are saved forever. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Oh, I'm thankful this morning. I'm saved. I'm thankful we're part of a great body. People are going to be in heaven one day. There'll be much people in heaven, a heavenly chorus, giving thanks and praise to God and bowing down before the Lord and casting your crowns at his feet and rejoicing forevermore. Listen, get used to heaven now. Get used to the hymn singing. Get used to the preaching. Get used to enjoying Jesus. Get more of Jesus. Listen, we don't want less of Jesus. We want more of Jesus while we're in this life. And so I give you an invitation this morning. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, those of you who are not 100% sure you're saved, today you can be saved. Today you can be born to God's family. Today you can have your name, make sure that your name stays written in the book of life. You can make sure today that you're passed from death to life. And then for every one of us today who've just had a very small concept and idea about what we are as a church, we're so great a people, the Bible says. We're so great a people. So great that even David, several times in the Psalms, he says, what a great congregation. Thank God for your church this morning. Thank God for your Savior. Thank God that Jesus is the head of his church. Thank God this morning he's the chief shepherd and bishop of every soul. He's the great shepherd of the sheep who through the blood of the everlasting covenant makes us perfect to stand complete in all the will of God. Rejoice this morning that God has purchased you with his blood. Rejoice this morning. We've been called to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I believe this morning the Lord is speaking to us to be a people that are busy and a people that are strong and a people that access his power and a people that rejoice that we're blessed in the Lord, that we are precious in his sight. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we should show forth the praises of him that's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Would you rejoice with me this Thanksgiving weekend of a great God we have and a God who's the pre who presides over this church and the great opportunities we have to serve him and encourage one another and be a blessing? Would you do that this weekend? Would you do that today and just coming alongside of this church and saying, listen, I've been waiting a long time. I've been kind of watching from the outskirts. It's time for me to get involved. It's time for me maybe to take that next step of getting baptized. Maybe to take that next step of getting involved and serving the Lord somewhere. Maybe I'm going to take a bunch of these tracks and those flyers and invite people to come to the Christmas musical and get them. Whatever it may be, as the Lord spoken to your heart this morning, why don't you act upon it and do something about that? To be zealous of good works means we need to act instantaneously and quickly upon that which the Lord has given to us. We'll give the invitation. You do as the Lord prompts your heart. As he speaks to you this morning, you do exactly as the Lord speaks to you today.